It was the end of the 1970s, the greatest era of music in modern history was yielding to the weirdest era, the 80s. The Beatles were being set aside for Adam Ant. The Eagles for a flock of seagulls. Yes, it was a very dark age for humanity. And yet in the midst of that season of great transition and upheaval, in a small hamlet in western New Jersey, surrounded by dairy farms, was a couple that was just beginning their life together. We will call them Pastor Tom <laughs> and Vitalina. What am I doing? See, but <laughs> I've told this story like 20 times. So the permission is fathered in, wouldn't you say? I think we're good, right? Okay. She wasn't quite as talkative back then in the late 1970s. So. Vit and I had just been married and had moved to this area of New Jersey that really is the Garden State to teach at a small private school. They didn't pay a lot, but one of the board members invited us to move into their old family farmhouse. They gave us the farmhouse at a deal, as they had done for the couple that lived there before us who were seminary students. And the deal with them was that they put half of their rent, instead of paying it, into fixing up the house. And they did a beautiful job. We walked into this gorgeous, like, honeymoon cottage. It was just really a beautiful space. We moved our stuff in. And it took about two nights to realize that we were not alone. <laughs> I know they say that you can't in one building have three vermin, but I can tell you there were three different creatures living with us. There were squirrels in the attic and in the wall right behind our headboard. And they had used that really cheap $7 a panel paneling to cover holes in that wall, and you could, you could literally lay in bed and hear fur brushing behind your head. Yeah. We had mice in the main living area of the house who thought they owned the house. On Easter morning, we were getting ready to go to Sunrise Church, and Vit had made her famous apple cake. Vic came down to check on it, and she screamed, and I came running in, and there was a mouse sitting there eating the cake on the counter. And the mouse turned and looked at us and proceeded to continue to eat the cake. There were rats in the basement. So here's the deal. This couple had spent, for them, a small fortune investing in this house. But it was all cosmetic. It looked beautiful, but the structure hadn't been worked on. There was a big hole in the eave of the house in the back, front door for Mr. and Mrs. Squirrel. The basement in that old stone foundation had so many holes in it, you could take and put your hand through the holes. The foundation was like Swiss cheese. It's possible that it would have been a lot better to 
dump the whole thing and build again. So here's my point to you. Your life is no stronger than the foundation upon which you're building it. Most of us spend the great majority of our life on what amounts to cosmetics, the things you possess, the things that you believe make you significant or show your status are nothing more symbolically than wallpaper and carpet. But that's what we're focusing on. And most of us assume that we're building our life and it's going fine and we are never looking at the foundation. As a follower of Jesus, we should know better. And it's because of the final words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which we have the privilege of reading today. So let's look in Matthew chapter 7. Let's begin reading at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus ends the greatest sermon ever preached with this parable. He's bringing it home. Remember, the whole sermon has been a study in contrasts. Two different kingdoms that we can choose to live by and in. We can be citizens of the kingdom of God by following the transformational track of the blessed people of the Beatitudes. We can be transformed into people that reflect God and live in the light and help extend His kingdom, which is what Jesus is describing. Remember, this is, in some sense, His manifesto, His declaration of the kingdom of God that He had said He'd come to bring and the people that are meant to inhabit that kingdom through his work of redemption. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is, and it's a constant contrast because we are in the kingdom of God, but yet we still live in the kingdom of this world. And the question that we want to ask is, on what are you building your life? The first word Jesus says is, therefore. It's the Greek word, un. It might translate it, connecting the dots. He's pulling the entire sermon together. The next phrase is, everyone who hears. Who is it that Jesus is speaking to? He's speaking to religious people. Even those that he's saying don't be like them are probably the most religious people in the Jewish culture. So Jesus is speaking to religious people and spiritual seekers here. He says what it is they hear, these words of mine. So the people that Jesus is speaking to are people like you and me. Do you know that we are farther removed from this conversation than Abraham? Do you know that? God called Abraham 
called him out and began to build a people somewhere around 1900 years before Jesus. The children of Israel were liberated from Egypt about 1500 years. So that means it was only about 1500 years since God had set up the religion of the Jewish people, the tabernacle and the sacrifices and the celebrations, all designed to move the people of God into relationship all designed to help them understand the need for forgiveness and the grace of God. We are 2,000 years removed from this conversation. So if in the time of Jesus, the Pharisees represented how far the faith that God had given Israel had drifted, don't you think it's fair to suggest that we need some correction ourselves? That we need to pay attention to what Jesus is saying because In the same way, what was meant to be a life of celebration in the Old Testament that moved people into relationship with God, and it became legalistic rules, so has Christianity. By nature, we're Pharisees. We want to measure everything. Religion gets in the way of authentic relationship. Performance replaces grace. We need this too. So Jesus is not contrasting what in his day would be called the people of God and the pagans. He's not contrasting people who are far from God, who are building their life on nothing, and we're building our life on Jesus. No, Jesus is talking about people that are in the camp, and he's saying, you can be missing the point. You who have heard these words of mine, And it all boils down to one of two things. Either you are putting those words into obedience and action, or you're not. Not whether you know the right thing to do, but whether it's impacted your life. And if it's not impacting your life, if you even show up to a church like this where I believe you're getting fed well, you still may be foundationless in your life because... You're coming and you're getting blessed. And that's it. Do you come to church to be blessed? Is that why you come? Or do you come to church to be changed? To make sure your life is founded on something? Well, Jesus says it boils down to one of two things. You're doing what you're hearing or you're not. He uses these two comparisons. The first is the wise builder. If you are one who hears the words I'm saying and puts them into practice, you are like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rock, not on rock. The word for rock here is the word petras. It's the feminine form Jesus is speaking not just about solid rock, but bedrock. That's why he says the rock, built his house on the rock. In other words, the foundation upon which the earth is laid. That's not going to go anywhere. So we're not talking about the kind of foundations we pour. I'm so glad we've stopped using field stones And now we have concrete block. But those are still man-made foundations. No, Jesus is talking about the foundation that God gave his creation. There is one foundation that is solid. 
Then he talks about the rains coming down, the floods coming up, and the wind banging at the side. And I, I think the picture here is that storms come from all directions, and sometimes all directions at once. And then he says, no matter how hard that storm is, the house did not fall. The obvious point here is that a life built on Jesus and his kingdom will endure. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will not fall when the storms come. Anybody here believe that you're going to go through life without disaster? It's a very wise group. (laughs) Disasters are inevitable. And then he goes on, he talks about the foolish builder who built his house on sand. Now, Jesus' intent is not to say there's an alternative foundation because the sand is no foundation at all. You got bedrock or you got nothing. Sand is like liquid rock. (laughs) You can pour sand. So the idea here is that there's really no foundation if we're trying to build our life on anything but the petros, the bedrock. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. Let's say this together. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is consistent with what I'm suggesting here. The Bible doesn't suggest there are different foundations upon which you can build your life, and you need to choose the right one. The Bible says there's only one foundation, everything else All other ground is sinking sand. I don't know if you remember in 1989. Anybody up here remember 1989? (laughs) Up here? University staffer Dave remembers 1989. 7.1 earthquake in San Francisco. Do you remember that? devastated that whole area. In fact, it was during the World Series. It was this time of year. The, the stadium itself was rocked by, by the earthquake. One of the famous landmarks in that area is the Golden Gate Bridge, and that's what it looks like today. The Golden Gate Bridge was not harmed by a 7.1 earthquake. And here's what's interesting. One of the posts of the Golden Gate Bridge sits directly on the San Andres Fault. But yet, when that great earthquake happened, the bridge survived because both of those posts are in bedrock. They are secured to the foundation of the earth, but across the bay, you may remember this scene, That's actually a two-story highway, at least it used to be until the top collapsed on the bottom. Many people killed, devastating. That highway was built on landfill. It was man's foundation that that was built on. And when the devastation came, the nature of that foundation was revealed. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's ultimately saying that rain, floods, and wind, disaster reveals what we are building our lives on. It's really the part you don't see that Jesus is talking about. Two builders begin to build, and houses look quite similar until the storms come, and that's when 
the foundation is revealed. Some of you think everything's great. You think everything's great. And the storms are going to come and reveal the fact that your life is actually not built on Jesus and the kingdom of God. Even though you've professed Christ as your Savior, you're living your life on the foundation of this world, the wisdom of this world, the ways of this world, the priorities of this world. And we look the same because we're all carrying our Bibles to church. We're all doing the service projects. But let disaster show up and see where your faith is at the end of that. I've watched many people in the 30 years I've been in ministry go through crisis and walk away from God because in the end, their expectations were about the kingdom of this world and this life. They didn't have enough built into the kingdom of God to hold them, see? And then he says, how great was that fall? How great was it? It was a total loss. And Jesus is talking about not just this life, but eternity. These things matter forever. That's why it's so critical. All right. I want to move on now and talk about how this idea of being on the right foundation is bigger than just us individual, but us as a community. We aren't just strong as individuals who built our life on Christ. We are strongest when we are part of a greater building, and together we are built on Christ. Peter refers to that. We actually read it in our opening passage of Scripture when we introduced the theme today. I'd like you to say that with me. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens, God's people, members of his household, with Jesus Christ himself as our chief cornerstone. Now, we're going to play between two different analogies here because the Bible does. The Bible refers to Jesus in terms of his person and his kingdom as the foundation of our lives, yet Jesus himself is also called the cornerstone. Some think he's also referred to as the capstone, the, the top of the building. So you, if you use all three of those together, you'd say Jesus is what we build our life on. Jesus is the one we line up our life with, and he also is the one that sits at the top over it all. That's interesting to see those three pieces of a structure. Peter, taking that same metaphor, says that we are all living stones. We are being built up into a house for the dwelling place of God, and we are built with Jesus Christ as our chief cornerstone. Now, this is all interesting ideas that come from Jesus' own teaching, not just here, but in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? They'd been with him now for quite a while, maybe a year and a half or so. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back for the dead or some other prophet. Then he looks at them and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter gets saved. It's exactly what happens. <laughs> Peter professes Jesus as the Savior and Lord. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he's Simon at that point still. And Jesus turns to him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And now, because you are the first to declare what everyone who become part of my household will declare, I'm going to give you a nickname. Rocky. I'm going to call you Peter. Now, this is very important. Peter is the male form Petros. Petros is a stone you can hold in your hand, often stones that were used to build on top of foundations, but could never be a foundation themselves. So Jesus says, I'm gonna give you a nickname. You are the first living stone, so we're gonna call you Peter. But then he says, and on this bedrock, he uses the Greek word petros, on this bedrock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, many traditions believe that Peter was the bedrock on which Jesus was going to build his church, but they're two different terms. What is the bedrock? What's the foundation upon which we build our life that Jesus is alluding to here? It's Jesus. It's that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. It's that truth upon which the church is grounded and because of which no matter what attack of the enemy <laughs> there is, the church will endure. On this bedrock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will withstand all storms and it will be a church on the move and it will endure. There will never be said of that church how great was its fall because it will forever be built on the true rock who is Jesus. Don't you love that? And Peter got that because he uses that very same analogy in his epistle. He says, I'm not just a stone, but we're all living stones. And together, God is building this household. And then he goes on and says, Jesus is the cornerstone. Now today, we think of cornerstones as a symbolic, almost a plaque or a, you know, a, a stone that is put in at the end of a building. If you go to some of the old buildings in town and walk around the sides, you'll find a cornerstone. And maybe inside a picture of the commemorative ceremony when the cornerstone was laid. The whole building was built. The cornerstone was just symbolic. That is not <laughs> what a cornerstone was in the time of Christ. When you were going to build something, the first stone you set on the foundation was your cornerstone. And then you built off of that cornerstone. You lined every stone in line with that cornerstone. So when Scripture says Jesus is the cornerstone, it doesn't mean He's a place of honor. It means we line our life up to Him. Not only is He the truth upon which we have laid and lay stake and build our whole life, we line our life up to Jesus. But not just you as individuals, as a church, we line ourselves up to Christ. It's a beautiful thing. It's just amazing to think that this is what we have. But Jesus says, sadly, there are many who will miss that and choose instead the broad path. And lip service, Lord, Lord. And knowledge, hearing the Word of God, put none of it to work, not have it transform their lives, so that 
You look different than the people around you. How you go about doing things, what you do with your resources, the choices that you make, the relationships that you fall into, the marriages that you choose, all of these things reflect that you are building your life on a whole different foundation because you're not just listening and being blessed on Sunday morning. You're putting it into action and it's transforming you. Jesus is being very clear here. There are two eternal questions as he wraps up this sermon that he's trying to get us to answer. As John Stott puts it, this ending of the sermon is a call to a radical and eternal choice. He offers two roads and two houses. It is impossible to exaggerate the importance of the choice between them far more momentous than the choice of even your life's work and your life's partner is the choice about life itself. Jesus is asking the two most basic and important questions you will ever have to answer. On what road are you going to travel? And on what foundation are you building your life? He's wrapping it up. He's putting a beautiful bow on it and saying, here it is. Just like Moses who said, I set before you today life or death, blessings or curses. Now choose life, right? Lot to think about. I'm gonna tell you, you don't have to wait for the storms to reveal on which foundation your life is built. You can build solidly. You need to commit yourself relentlessly to the Lordship, to to your Savior who is Jesus Christ. You need to see Him as the one by which you align all of your life's choices. If you do that, when the storms come, and they will, you will stand.